Hello and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic-related topics and social issues. So I'd like to thank Omar, my patron, for sending one of my patrons for sending this article by Mobin entitled "On Gender Diversifying Our Spaces," and the article brings up a lot of interesting points most of which I don't really agree with, or at least I don't agree with his conclusions. But I wanted to take the time to, inshallah ta'ala, talk about some of his points. And so I, the article is long, but I highlighted some points, and so I'm just going to address that and then, or comment on that rather, and then go to the conclusion. So inshallah, let's do that. He kind of goes through a point by point of his ruminations, as he calls it, on the push to gender diversify our spaces. And one, I'll say that there is a part of me in the past that felt like any sort of arbitrary push to include more women in any space or even the opposite, but it's usually trying to include women in something that is um, male-dominated, that I wasn't necessarily going to support it because I just felt like if it's a superficial push, if women aren't interested in this field, then why should they be pushed into it? Now, I think I've really softened on that view because I, I remember actually listening to a podcast with by Muhammad Jilan and he mentioned um, the value that women can bring into spaces because of our distinct point of view, right? So it's one thing to say, well, if women don't want to be in those spaces, why should they? But I think it's a valuable point to say, well, women have something unique to bring. And so if we can encourage more women to be in the spaces, then it would benefit that space. So... I'm, you know, I'm, I guess I'm not completely convinced either way. I think that's a good point. So on the actual push of this particular issue, there being more women speakers on the um, speaking circuit, so to call it, or speaker circuit, then for me, I think there are reasons, one, on the face of it, you can say, well, that's superficial, it's arbitrary, who cares? if it's a woman or a man teaching. But that's sort of just my initial or was my initial reaction. At this point, I actually see more value of it in it than not. Because I think that the reasons to not include women aren't very good reasons. The space should rather just be open and you get the most qualified people. But then here, here's the problem with that. In... A perfect world, that's what you would do, right? If we go back to the times of the Sahaba, then you had people teaching like Lady Aisha, who was very young and was a woman. You had people like Bilal, who was a former slave, Abyssinian. You had people like um, Ali, who also was very young. And of course, you had older people as well and, and everyone in between, of different races, ethnicities, tribes, and ages and genders 
who were all, if they were knowledgeable, sought after for their knowledge. And I think that the Sahaba in that way, though they also had their issues to work through, I think in that way they were able to really equalize knowledge and it really and truly be about the knowledge itself and not that, yes, I want knowledge, but you're a woman, so I'm not going to listen to you. Yes, I want knowledge, but you're Abyssinian, so I'm not going to listen to you. Yes, I want knowledge, but you're younger than me, so I'm not going to listen to you. Now, there may be an adab in all of those situations or most of them, but you would not simply turn away from someone of knowledge because of their race, tribe, age, gender, etc. But that's not the perfect world that we live in. Muslims of today, especially those coming from immigrant communities, have been, um, what's the word? They've been indoctrinated with the, the misogyny of colonization. So they have taken so much of what Europe, Europeans, excuse me, of what Europeans brought to them from their culture, from their religion, Allahu Alam, if it's really in Christianity, but at the time that this is what they would say from their religion, the sexism, the racism from their religion, from their culture, and adopted it as their own. Yakin has a really good article about or research paper about the fact that honor honor killing, sorry, <laughs> honor killings actually came from Brit British law. I'm sorry that I can't speak. I don't know what my problem is. But anyway, that honor killings were actually adopted from British law. It was not something that we all know it's not something that came from Islam. But that connection is actually from British law. It's not even about, oh, it's a perversion of an Islamic law. No, it comes from an outside source in totality. So a lot of the, even look at somewhere like Afghanistan, where they're trying to prevent girls and the Boko Haram people in Nigeria, where they're trying to prevent girls from learning. This was never the way of Islam. This was never what we see in the Sira. We see that men, women, children were all learning from the Prophet ﷺ. They had equal access. And when it came to seeking knowledge, you sought from who was knowledgeable, no matter who they were. And we have more so in our Muslim communities the residue of colonization than we have the residue of the blessed life of the Prophet ﷺ. And so there are active efforts you have to make when you see that people are not following the way of the Prophet ﷺ. And so we may say, we'll just leave it open. Whoever's most knowledgeable, then that's who you invite. But the reality is because of internalized misogyny and also some practicalities, which I'll get to in a moment, or not practicalities, but situational reasons, then what people pour forth, like if you pour something forth from a heart that isn't pure, it's not going to be pure. So to say that if I'm, you know, if someone is misogynistic or they're racist or they're whatever, and to say that they're going to have good or um, equitable, fair, just hiring practices, you can't really leave it up to them. You have to have a system. So even somewhere like in America, 
where we have all these laws against discrimination, you may say, oh, why do we need all these discrimination laws? It should just be about whoever is the most qualified. It would be great if we lived in such a just and perfect world, but the reality is that because of the history of discrimination, we now have to actively put put forth policies that allow us to ensure discrimination is not happening. And it's still not perfect, but we have to make an effort. So you have to actively say, which is why, which is what some people don't get about affirmative action. It's not about saying black people who are unqualified can now come to our colleges. No, it's about saying, here's this long history you had of excluding black people. So now to make sure that you can't do that anymore, you must have this percentage of black people. And I know that the affirmative action laws are messed up now, so I don't even know if that's how it works at this moment. But that was part of the idea. I have to, we as a society have to enforce, we have to make sure that you cannot discriminate against people. And so I think that that's what Muslims have done um, with our rhetoric, with our conversations, with our whatever social media protests, say that we want women to these conferences. There's no way that you can say for the past 10 years, You've only had men because there are only knowledgeable men. Like we know that that's not possible. So we can't we we can't trust your judgment because it's clear that for whatever reason you're choosing men and not women and it does not have anything to do with qualifications because it's I don't think anyone who you know, I don't think anyone can make the argument oh there just aren't enough qualified women. I mean, not enough qualified women for what? To fill two slots at a conference? There aren't enough qualified women to fill one slot on a panel? Really? You couldn't find one? You couldn't find two? You couldn't find five? Like, that is not true. So something else is happening. And in order to correct possible misogyny, we're not even going to say it's misogyny. We're going to say in order to correct possible misogyny, possible sexism, possible lack of insight or foresight or just not being aware that you're looking over an entire segment of the population, we're going to make some noise and we're going to make sure that you know this is what we want to see. We're going to put a little more pressure so that when you are planning for that next event, you don't just, you know, sort of go to, actually, that's a good segue to talk about how it can happen situationally. Because I'm not going to claim that it's because of misogyny. I don't know. Like, the only time I would call something misogynist or racist, well, I'm going to leave racism to the side. But the only time I would call something misogynist is if there is literally no other fathomable explanation. So I'm not even going to say the all-male panel thing is misogynist. Because I know, even from experience, I once was helping to plan an event. It was myself, two sisters, and an imam. And we were thinking of who are the speakers going to be. This is the first year we did this event. And we got a list of speakers. We put it out. And then we heard feedback from other people saying, where are the women speakers? And so here we were, three women, one man. 
And we didn't invite any female speakers. Why? Because we left it, we essentially left it up to the sheikh. We thought of different people that the sheikh knew that he could get in contact with and guarantee that they would be able to make it um, to this event. It wasn't because we were actively trying to be misogynist or sexist. It was literally about logistics. But you know what? When people call you out, when people, let me not even say call you out, but that's one form too. When people give you their feedback and say, okay, this is what we want to see. We want a woman on this panel. Why don't you have women on this panel? And my first response back then, this was a couple of years ago, my first response was defensive. My first response was, well, there are women in the background. There are three of us as women who have planned this event and all of that. But over time, then my response has been, or not that I'm still responding to that, but my thought process has been more reflective. And I realized that that was actually an opportunity. When people are giving you their feedback and saying, why don't you have more women on your panel? Then I can question myself as well. Why didn't we we think of having a woman there? Why is it that we didn't make an effort in that direction? And for us, I still believe it was simply a logistical issue. But having that feedback, then guess what happened next year? We got women on the panel. Now, did we just grab whatever woman we could find? No. And I'm saying we actually didn't help with the second one. But no, they didn't just grab any woman they could find. They grabbed, they, <laughs> they invited women who they felt would be beneficial for their community, just like they invited men who they felt would be beneficial for the community. Same qualifications. And, you know, I I think I had given a lecture at that, at that second event, and I mentioned, you know, this need for women scholars, we should make sure that the women are qualified. But I love that one sheikh, it was actually Sheikh Abdullah, Abdullah Ali, I don't think he would mind me saying, that he said, just like we should make sure the women are qualified, we should make sure the, make sure the men are qualified as well. And that also gave me pause and gave me a chance to reflect because we have all this scrutiny for women and all this, all these lists of qualifications for women. And I don't think we always do that for men. A man is just, you know, if he's any man, we're going to invite him. If he has been to Saudi Arabia, we're going to invite him. If he's active in the community, then we'll think of inviting him. I know in, in the masjid that um, we grew up in, There'd be just it would just be men from the community sometimes who were given chutzpahs. They weren't, as far as I knew, they weren't qualified in anything. But hey, brother, so you know, Imam's missing. Do you want to give the chutzpah? And they gave the chutzpah. And sometimes it was really questionable the things they were talking about. But if we were to say, hey, let's have a lecture from a woman. Let's invite a woman speaker. There'd be all, and I'm speaking theoretically, because that never happened at that masjid. But theoretically speaking, I feel like there are all these answers and qualifications. Oh, make sure she's qualified. But why Why would we drop the standard just because it's a woman? I think that's a poor assumption on our part. And But secondly, I will say, as I've said recently, most of these conferences don't need scholars. Period. These, we're not dealing with scholarly issues. Most of the issues we're dealing with 
at these conferences are community issues. Now, I'm not saying we don't benefit from the knowledge of scholars. Of course we do. But we'd also benefit from psychologists, from school teachers, from people who have been married for 40 years and can tell people how to stay married. We would benefit from lots of different types of people who are experts in their fields or have um, wisdom because of, of you know their experiences in life. So I don't think that we should be more, um, what's the word? We should not be harsher or more critical when it comes to women. But, oh, that's what I was beginning with. But we do, we do have to, clearly, we had to actively call for women for women to start being invited. So even that alone shows that, oh, there were qualified women. You guys just weren't inviting them. And again, I'm not accusing it, accusing anyone of misogyny, but I'm actually making the point that that calling out and that people sharing their opinions and their feedback was actually valuable because it gave these conferences, it opened their eyes, you know, to maybe, maybe discrimination or just their overlooking um, of qualified women. And it forced them to find qualified women. And so it also blessed us with the knowledge of women that we may not otherwise have had if things, if no one decided to say anything, if things just kept going how they were. We may not have ever heard from it and Ustada Zainab, um, Sheikha Tamara Gray, and they're, you know, they're, I can't really know, oh, subhanAllah, um, Sheikha Aisha Prime, Alhamdulillah, all of these wonderful women that we know about now because of those people who said, we want to see more women up there. And so there's so much benefit to that. I'm just going to go to a few of his points and directly respond, inshallah, and then we'll, we will end. Um, you know what? Actually, instead of doing that, because I'm sure I'll end up writing a post or something um, at some point, and I do admit that some of his points I found extremely frustrating, but um, maybe we'll address that in writing so I don't have to like sound angry, right? So let's go to his conclusion, inshallah, and I'm just going to respond to that. So he says that he's not making the points, the point uh, or he's not made, he doesn't have a contention about the permissibility of qualified women teaching and preaching to men or vice versa, um, because there are examples of that, obviously. And they all took very seriously the question of boundaries and enforced a number of them to uphold mutual respect and maintain appropriate emotional and physical different distance. You know, what's interesting, though, is that people will say that and then instead of then encouraging people and institutions to have those appropriate boundaries, they'll encourage people to just not mix at all. So people will admit that in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, men and women talked. People will admit that, and, and you can't not admit it because it's just true, that in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the masjid was an open space. There was no boundary between men and women. But instead of saying... So let's try and be more like them and not in a superficial way like, oh, let's just be better Muslim. Like, no, let's literally take the things that, that 
they did. Like, there's one thing that Aisha has, she has a hadith where she says that women would go to the masjid, you know, dressed in their modest covering. They'd go to the masjid, pray fajr, and then they would leave first. Something as simple like that, I think, is also is is very beneficial. So that let's leave the masjid, or if you're designing a masjid, build it open or have no fear at least about building it open, but that there's appropriate boundaries so that either the men get up and leave first and then go to another space or the women get up and leave first and go to another space so that people aren't, um, I hate this term, but free mix. I hate that term. I'm not even going to use it so that people don't have, uh, the temptation to start chatting because, you know, sometimes after Salah, you're in the masjid and you get comfortable and all that. So if there's another space that people can go to so that they can chat or whatever, just so that men and women can naturally go to their own quarters. And to be honest, you know, for all the criticisms that we have of gender interactions, let's be honest that as Muslims, we are still very modest, alhamdulillah, in our interactions. Most of the times, even if it's an open space with men and women, most of the times, Mm -hmm. Women still go to their quarters. Men still go to their quarters. It's very rare that I've seen just completely men and women mixing. I've, I've seen it on occasion, but that's rare. Most of the time we have sort of hamnila, a natural modesty so that we will um, naturally go with our own um, sex. So his next point, he says, the aggressive pursuit of gender diversification today has little to do with restoring religiously, sorry, spiritually rigorous pedagog- pedagogical settings and far more to do with reconciling Islam with liberal norms. So I'm going to end with that and just comment on that. I think whether that's true or not, for one, I actually know that that's a fair, um, a fair assessment because what is also frustrating is that whenever women talk about misogyny or sexism or wanting more women in a certain space, we're always accused of being feminist. Even myself. I speak up, anytime I ever speak up about misogyny or sexism, there's always someone who's going to accuse me of being a, feminism, a feminist. It doesn't matter that I've spent too much time critiquing feminism. No, I say anything about discrimination of women or some sort of particular abuse that women are, f- are facing or misogyny or sexism at all. I'm a feminist and I'm coming from a liberal fam- framework. So I'm really, there's a part of me that doesn't even care. Let's say it did come from a liberal framework. Is everything liberal wrong? Like that's a problem with, with us right now in the Muslim community especially online, especially those of us like 30 and under around 30, 30s, 20s, that sort of thing. We feel like we have to be in the conservative camp or the liberal camp. And I went through that phase too of, of claiming to be a, or calling myself a conservative, which in a very purest way, I still would say I am because I want to conserve Islam. And I'd still say I'm a traditionalist in a very purest sense in that I stick to the tradition of Islam, Um, but in a more modern sort of political context, that is not really true. Like there are some liberal ideas that we can get behind. So to simply say, well, this comes from liberal social norms, that's not enough to say that it's wrong, right? Especially if they 
are restoring something that is Islamically acceptable. So let's say like liberals, liberals and not conservatives, are the ones who talk about environmentalism. Well, being stewards of the earth is also our duty as Muslims. So if it's a liberal or it comes from a liberal framework that convinces us to do what we ought to be doing as Muslims. Are we going to reject it just because it comes from liberals? Like we can't, we cannot go to that extreme where we need to back away from that extreme. And, and as I already said for myself, I called myself a conservative and I thought, you know, socially I'm conservative, but maybe economically I'm liberal. But then I realized, no, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. I just don't belong to any of those titles. And I love that um, Sidi Muhammad Safi, he just said this on Facebook. And I thought, I had to read it actually a couple of times before I got it. But he said, people will say, vote with your values. But they don't realize being anti-racist is a value. And I had to read that probably five times to get it. But I realized, oh, right, because whenever people talk about voting Republican, it's like, vote your conscience, vote your morals. You know, aren't you anti-abortion? Aren't you pro-life? Aren't you, I don't even know what else they have going for them. Oh, right. Aren't you pro-marriage and that sort of thing? And yeah, we are all of those things. But what if I'm also pro-environment? What if I'm also anti-racist? That's, those are, that is, Sorry, those are both part of a liberal agenda. So it's not even, even when it comes to social issues, it is not that clear cut. We, there are some issues we agree with them here, some issues we agree with them there, and there are some issues that, that aren't necessarily going to just be a singular point of view among Muslims. I think as a Muslim, you can have different ideas on economics. We can disagree on economics and that's not, you know, Allah Alam, but I don't think that necessarily is about there's only one blanket way to do economics Islamically, but Allah Alam, because I know almost nothing about economics, so I shouldn't even talk about that. So, yeah, just to end, I'll just repeat that point. If liberals happen to be bringing us back to an Islamic value, so be it. I don't really think it matters how we got there. Um, as long as we're not, you know, yeah, you have to be careful. You can't then say, you can't, <laughs> this is just why we have to measure everything by Islam. People are saying we want more women. There's nothing wrong with having more women on panels. If people, because then someone said on Twitter before, I guess I was having this discussion about more women on panels. And someone said, oh, what's next? Having more children speakers or having more gay speakers. And it's like, we measure everything by Islam. If someone says we want more women speakers, okay, we have no issue with that. If someone says we want gay speakers, no, I have an issue with that. That actually happened recently. I was on a panel about homosexuality and the brother said, you know, why don't we have a gay Muslim here on the panel? I would have an issue with that. I don't, I don't believe, and Allahu Alam, it's tricky territory. I don't believe I would share a panel with an actively outwardly gay muslim now if you're a gay muslim or if you were like if you're reformed right so if you used to practice homosexuality but you now do not but you want to tell people about your story 
so they can benefit from it. That's a different issue. But to just say we want more gay Muslims on panels, I would say absolutely not. But to say we want more women, yeah, absolutely, why not? Even if you said we want younger people, maybe not children, because in our society, most of the time, children are not, um, they're not at an intellectual level to discuss the issues that adults are discussing. Unlike in the past where Lady Aisha, she was at youngest, 19, when the Prophet died. We know Ali was very young, Fatima was very young. A lot of people were very young, but they were people of great knowledge. So you would go to them for knowledge. Our average 19, well, maybe not 19, but our average 12-year-old, let's say, is not ready to speak in front of adults about anything. But, you know, we do include them, include them when appropriate. So if a 12-year-old is a hafiz, we have no reason saying, you know, why don't you open up for us? Why don't you read the Quran for us before we do this panel? So measure everything by Islam. I I don't think we should get so caught up in saying, oh, well, that comes from feminism. That comes from liberalism. That comes from conservatism, if you don't like conservatives. That comes from this and that place. Is it in line with Islam? That is the only question. Where Whoever else agrees with it, good for them. But is it in line with Islam? That's all that should be important. So thank you all for listening. Thank you to all of my patrons. Thank you for sending me this article. One of my patrons sent me this, Hamnida. And inshallah ta'ala, I will um, get to speak to you all again soon. Assalamu alaikum and take care.